It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who still have Pinterest boards. <laughs> Although they may not be as accessible as they used to be. Yeah, that's true. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonster. I'm a general pediatrician uh, here in Des Moines, Iowa, at Blank Children's Hospital. And uh, we have a fun episode for you today. We are talking to Ethan Lindenberger, who is the guy who went and vaccinated himself um, by the advice of Reddit, apparently the good side of Reddit. And <laughs> And uh, he did that because he had been unvaccinated up to that point in his childhood. So we are really mm -hmm. excited to talk to him. We're hoping to do something different with him in that we really want to talk to him about engaging teenagers, uh, which is something that we think he's got expertise on being mm -hmm. a, an engaged teenager. Pretty cool. Normally at this time, we do our around the web, but the web is itself sort of the thing and there's so many things going on it's just exploding we thought we'd do a segment called so many things going on that's a great name for a segment you like that i do <laughs> so so what is going on out there karen there's so much going on so many things going on all at once it seems that all of the internet based social media sites have finally figured out that um, letting anti-vaccine people disseminate uh, misinformation freely and without restriction and using ad space is not good mm -hmm. and that it's harmful. You know, it was kind of like falling dominoes that this happened. Oh, too. it really is. Yeah. It, but and it started, I actually think that the starting point with it um, was the Rockland, New York measles outbreak. You know, I was doing a lot of things. Let me let me go through some of the things first in terms of the companies, because mm -hmm. I have a lot of thoughts about why all of a sudden this is happening, and I do think partly it's that it's that uh, measles outbreak. But I had tweeted recently about some of the things, and I know that I'm missing some. But the big one that happened recently is GoFundMe has decided mm -hmm. to drop anti-vaccine campaigns, mm -hmm. uh, and we know that that's happened to some of those anti-vaccine fundraisers that have been out there. We've seen them go down. Facebook said that they are going to, or that they were, or they're going to downrank anti-vax content, so it'd be less likely to come up in searches. I have some some people have argued whether or not that's effectively being instituted. YouTube mm -hmm. said that they're demonetizing. Uh, not demonizing. So I keep, <laughs> I keep writing that word and I'm like, it looks like demonizing. It's just nope. taking away how much money you make from posting anti-vaccine content. Pinterest did this thing, if I understand it correctly, because I, I, I technically have a Pinterest account, though it has been inactive for a very long time. I think that's they everyone. just stopped. Yeah, they just stopped allowing searches, I think, for vaccines. But I also think maybe that they're taking out anti-vaccine Yes. Pin board yes, the, things. They they are like the National Vaccine Information Center. Their mm -hmm. anti-vaccine Pinterest board right. was taken down, but Voices for Vaccines, pretty inactive one, is still up. Right. 
Uh, Amazon took out Vaxxed as well as a number of other anti-vaccine films, at least from their prime streaming service. I don't know about what they've done. I know that uh, like Dr. Hotez in particular is pushing them further to say, you know, because anti-vaccine books are still uh, still come up in searches. They still get pushed to you. Uh, there were a few other things. Etsy has a policy that I was mm -hmm. surprised to find that they won't let you sell anti-vaccine stuff that whatever you sell on Etsy. Um, anything else that I missed? Twitter has been silent as far yeah. as I know. Well, Facebook is not allowing people to, uh, they're not allowing anti-vaccine ads and they're also not allowing ad. They, they took out the ad targeting people who are interested in vaccine controversies. Mm -hmm. So that that's a small thing. I think Twitter yeah. has done nothing. Yeah, I don't correct. think so either. Yeah. It'd be nice to see, but uh, we can keep trying to push them and tag them and whatever. But mm -hmm. I mean, there's been some, I, I forget all the details of this, but Bill has said, well, I don't know if they're really motivated because uh, uh, for his name, Jack uh, was on, was interviewed a guy that is anti-vaccine but not really in that context and i i forget all the details there i'm sure our astute listeners will um, tell us exactly what yeah. that was again i have no idea what you're talking about oh yeah there's a thing i'll i'll, I'll tag you sometime about thing. it but okay. so twitter has not really done anything but uh there's uh i feel like there's a couple other um like tech groups and stuff that are doing things. But those are the big ones. So I really think it did start with the Rockland, it, it, the Rockland measles outbreak, but also the one in the Ukraine, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think it was in a seven day span of time. There, there were 2000 new cases of mm. measles in the Ukraine between March 22nd and March 29th. 2000 cases, new cases diagnosed in the Ukraine, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um especially when you consider the size of the United States compared to the size of U the Ukraine, that should just blow your mind. Yeah. yeah. And um, following, yeah, following all those outbreaks, the world health organization rated vaccine hesitancy as the, one of the top 10 global health threats uh -huh. of this year. And it just sort of all fell from there. Adam Schiff sent a few letters about, tech firms about Facebook and about other tech firms about Amazon and what they have online and how it's you know making all these outbreaks worse and they 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 respond better to Adam Schiff for some reason than they do to like me but fine whatever <laughs> what's up with that yeah I don't know and then you know then we had people like Ethan Lindenberger who went to mm -hmm. Capitol Hill and discussed um his whole thing. So it's sort of all this vaccine news that's happened in the first three, four months of the year yeah. that w normally would be like two years worth of news. Mm -hmm. um, and, and here we are all dealing with it. The weird thing that I've noticed because of all of this is that some of those, um, you know, anti-vaccine leaders and the big names in the anti-vaccine movement who are usually very, very busy just putting out misinformation, like the National Vaccine Information Center, for example. Uh -huh. Instead of putting out their misinformation, they've been so focused on the idea of being persecuted, of being, of having their, you know, I'm putting this in quotation marks, their First Amendment rights restricted that they really haven't been putting out as much misinformation, which is just sort of a... <laughs> so to speak a, we a mm -hmm. weird side effect um but then you know another one of the things that's going on that's sort of a big deal is that 
they they've been promoting this idea that they are persecuted in such a way that's been you know tinges of anti-semitism or maybe not tinges maybe fully colored with anti-semitism so you know for example del big tree who we mentioned in the last episode gave a speech um and at the end of the speech, he pinned a Star of David on himself that said no vax on it. And people have been changing their profile pictures to this Star of David. Mm-hmm. And it was upsetting enough that um, the Auschwitz Memorial Museum and the Anti-Defamation League spoke out against uh, anti-vaxxers misappropriating this symbol of hate. And really, um, I, you know, I really think that for a lot of those parents it's this naivete about what the holocaust really was um because you really you don't compare things to the holocaust unless it's you know genocide right and not being allowed to send your kids to public school when they're unvaccinated for example is not comparable no and it's really really awful the way that some of the leadership in the anti-vaccine movement just aligns themselves with bigotry and racism. Um, Mm -hmm. And it amazes me that people stand by them. Like I watch on um, social media and I'll see people try. If anybody did something similar to that, we would be the first people to say, you know, condemn it and, and send them out like on Mm -hmm. our side of it. You know, I'm not going to tolerate that kind of behavior from somebody, even if I agree with you about a topic, but to watch some of the, 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 the social media, uh, the kind of online anti-vaccine movement out there kind of try to support their leaders and justify the Mm -hmm. comparison is, is, is pretty disgusting. Um, it's I think all of those things kind of came together to to do what we're starting to see, because I, I think all that's right. And I think even if you take a step back, one of the things that I've been kind of amateur speculating is about is the role of things that the country has been paying attention to ever since the 2016 election that have also kind of snowballed into this attention on the anti-vaccine movement and anti-vaccine misinformation and and propaganda and stuff that's out there online because a lot of that we've said this before that kind of the the anti-vaccine movement in the 2000s and early 2010s was kind of a microcosm kind of a prognosticator of things that were happening and were going to happen when it came to American politics and mm-hmm. whatnot. And we started seeing, you know, we, we were dealing with fake news yeah. in the anti-vaccine world long before it became a mainstream term. Yeah. We, we knew what InfoWars <laughs> was a long oh, time yeah. ago. <laughs> yes. And so with that increased national attention, looking at it from a political angle and talking about how does, how does social media funnel information in such a way that it makes people believe certain things that aren't true, uh, how does how does this stuff get spread and whatnot? I think that has also kind of with that building up, building up, building up, and then we had the Rockland um, Muses outbreak as well as the Pacific Northwest. But this Rockland one that's very close to like it's New York City adjacent, mm-hmm. right. and so all of these groups that are based out of there um, are paying close attention to that. And then at the same time we have you know, the anti-vaccine leadership making themselves 
clear like allying themselves with racism and bigotry and looking and, and clearly being bad guys yeah and so you have all of that together that i think it, and not only is it companies that are doing this um but i've just noticed more uh pro-vaccine presence online mm -hmm. people coming to comment sections and loading it up with pro-vaccine yeah. stuff and i'll be the first to say that sometimes i think those cross the line yeah. i don't love when we start seeing people get aggressive or insulting you and i are very much opposed to crossing a line that is you know where where people you know basically we want people to to go high yeah. <laughs> when the anti-vaccine movement goes low but when the internet is kind of coming in mass you see all kinds uh the but in general i am seeing a whole uh, a large upswelling of kind of pro-vaccine sentiment just what seemingly among the 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 social media population right. at large yeah it is kind of heartening you know it used to be if some local media channel for example posted something on facebook or tweeted something you'd go to the mm -hmm. comments and your heart would just sink and it'd be like right oh and now you go there and you're like well my work is done <laughs> <laughs> what can i add to this i'm just going to like 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 <laughs> say this this um this this makes me this brings up something in my mind i really want to do a public service announcement here i would like to say uh and i'm gonna like Karen, I'm going to let you decide whether this is going to stay in or not. But <laughs> I want to say that Karen-related humor is great. You know, I think Karen-related humor <laughs> is hilarious. Uh, there are some great things out there where the punchline is somebody named Karen. I think they're great. <laughs> the only thing that I would ask is when we're talking about vaccines and you have that meme and you want to put a name on the person who is not immunizing or whatever... Out of respect for our Karen Ernst, could you pick a Heather? Yeah. Well, I'm not even... Could you pick somewhat something else? We could come up with some names. We can get some others out there. But just uh, every, everything else goes. Just when it comes to the vaccines, just keep Karen out of it. So a couple of things on that. First of all, you know, Karens were usually born in the 1970s. Not me. Mm -hmm. I'm way younger than that. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all the other Karens were born in the 1970s. Gen Xers. Dude, we vaccinate our kids, you know. Yeah. We're, we're too old for that. <laughs> you know, when, when I had my first baby, there wasn't Facebook. There wasn't even MySpace at that point, you know. Um I read actual physical books about babies. Yeah. <laughs> picking, you know, a more, dare I say, millennial name. I'm not picking on millennials. I'm not, I'm Gen X. We're like caught in the middle. No one even knows we exist. Uh, would make more sense, though, for certain. And um, secondly, my second comment is that when I do see that meme, I usually post the same comment, which is, Dude, I'm literally the executive director of well, <laughs> at Voices for Vaccines. And then people find Voices for Vaccines. So I just sort of, you know, and then someone, yeah, I think someone commented back to me one time, like, I was waiting for a Karen to comment and you didn't disappoint. I'm like, I never <laughs> do. <laughs> I just want to apologize already in advance for the Heathers that are listening. I know that there are good pro-vaccine Heathers out there. Yeah. Y'all are great. Keep doing your thing. But, you know, I mean, we got to pick a name and it really can't be Karen. Yeah. How about Dell? <laughs>
Yeah, see, you're lucky because um, your name can literally be folded into the word vaccinate. Oh, right, all right. For Nate. Yeah, you, you can use Nathan in your memes. You can use Nate. I'm fine with it. I'm not that big of a deal. Karen's kind of a big deal. So just think twice before you finish that meme. Yeah, vaccinate. That's the PSA. Vaccinathan. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I doubt we covered everything that's going on right now. It's so much. It's Yeah, you know, I think it is worth pointing out, since we kind of touched on it, uh, that when we talk about this thing, we're not talking, you know, when we talk about censorship and the bad aspects of censorship, we're talking about government censorship and the government deciding what can and cannot be talked about. Nobody is doing that. That is not what is mm -hmm. happening. It is private companies deciding, you know what, I don't want to, we don't want to host this. Now, that may be entirely from a financial you know, we see which way the wind is blowing kind of a perspective and we think it's in our countries, our countries, our company's best interest to uh, make these changes. It may be because people, you know, you never know, people in companies actually do have consciences and whatnot. And so uh, they may be doing it for those motivations as well. Mm -hmm. But it's okay for companies to say, I don't have to host this information. I don't have to host this misinformation. I don't have to mm -hmm. host... Um, you know, things that are not true about vaccines that can potentially be a public health threat. Yes. And one other thought about that, too, um, because, vac you know, the vaccine issue kind of is a harbinger. It's something easier to tackle than general politics. We're mm -hmm. very politically divided across the world. No matter what yeah. the division is, it's it seems that we're just more and more polarized. And probably a lot of that has to do with our interconnectedness on the Internet, mm -hmm. ironically. Yeah. So I think for these tech companies, the vaccine issue is less sticky to deal with than it is with some of these other political issues that people get wound up about. I, I, but the other part of that is that there's been a lot of talk in the last three years about whether these tech companies are just open platforms or whether we should mm -hmm. be treating them more like media companies. Right. So if you know NBC News decided to host Infowars, an Infowars segment, um, and said all sorts of irresponsible things that Alex Jones says in his segments, you know, mm -hmm. and, and he says terrible things too, not just about vaccines, but, you know, he goes after, oh, yeah. you know, um, victims, families of, gun yeah, families of, yeah, gun violence fa families. And um, mm -hmm. that NBC would be in all sorts of trouble for doing that by, you know, by the FCC and whatnot. Um, I just chose NBC at random too. It really could be a any media company, and they they but they also have standards. They have they have editorial boards, and they have mm -hmm. you know all sorts of fail safes for the content that that goes in their programming or on their pages or or whatever they are. That doesn't mean it's always good there's plenty of right. bad media outlets but you know um they're at least responsible for the content that's there and facebook and twitter and reddit and etsy and you know amazon all these places have sort of washed their hands of any of the responsibility of the things that they're hosting 
Yeah. And so I think that conversation about, well, what what are you? Are are you responsible for this at all? And and you know, I know we all have seen things egregious, terrible things. You know, for example, the um the terrorist act in New Zealand that happened in real time on Facebook mm-hmm. and that just kind of that got on there in a way that it wouldn't have been on, say, Fox News, because there there's no fail safe there. And, you know, I think there's a lot of us who work in the vaccine space now who kind of see our content getting caught up in some filter and there's no person to talk to. It just it feels like you're in Skynet or something instead right. of right. with human yeah. beings. Um, so we're in this weird space right now where we haven't defined what it is that we're all doing in this shared space on the internet. Yeah. And it's tricky when we think about Facebook because they want to portray it as, as, as just content uh, as a platform, but that kind of leaves the platform realm when the algorithm is deciding what you're going to see and not then they're actively, there's not a person that's saying, okay, roll that, you know, roll that right. tape there but there is an algorithm that is like we want to target these people with this kind of content we're going to target these people with this kind of content not just advertising just what's coming up in your social media feed mm-hmm. stuff that gets things going and ways to manipulate that and so when their hand is in that it makes it mm-hmm. a little bit less of a platform and a little bit more of a media company so exactly I, uh, yeah that's really rough exactly I, mean, I don't know the, I'm not I don't think either one of us are going to pretend to know the answers to that but uh, we are certainly glad to see them looking at this particular issue and making some changes, even if they're not always enough. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to experiment with it, you know, uh, start yourself a fake Facebook account and like all of the anti-vaccine pages and, you know, start looking at all the anti-vaccine things. And that's all you will see. You won't mm-hmm. you won't see anyone coming to you and saying, actually, <laughs> right. no. That and and that's the problem when when things like you know the 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 Holocaust comparisons get made. There there isn't anyone standing there and saying, "Oh, hey, no, let's not do that," because it's all being you know promoted by this algorithm where everyone sees the same content instead of people seeing a, a greater variety of content. Yeah. Well, and it does make me want to say, and you and I do this, but it is worth looking. If you're a really good advocate for vaccines, it's worth making sure that you're aware of what's going on on the other side. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if you're, if you're, if you're listening to this by chance and your feed is loaded with anti-vaccine stuff, you know, make sure that you're actively trying to break out of that mm-hmm. and make sure that you're actively talking to people who are actual experts and going to pages that have that level of expertise and paying attention to that without just simply trying to shut it down and, uh, you know, disbelieve it or debunk it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think that's true about pro-vaccine advocates, too, because mm-hmm. you really do have to learn about what is going on and how this stuff is approached. I think that there is a certain sometimes there's a naivete among uh, pro-vaccine advocates as to what really is going on. Right. Uh, and in terms of the, you know, I want to be very, very, very clear about vac- the vaccine hesitant and the parents that are worried and, and may not be immunizing because they have read stuff. I want to be very clear, you know, delineate between them and those groups that are out there that are actively putting forth groups and individuals that are actively putting out 
um, bad information, propaganda stuff that is potentially dangerous mm-hmm. stuff about how to, you know, not treat tetanus right. and stuff like that, that could end up with somebody in the ICU or, or dead. Uh, and so it is worth kind of knowing that there is that actively out there mm-hmm. and it's not just kind of happening. It's being actively pushed by groups that have, uh, people that have ideological beliefs that are in some ways fairly dangerous. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. But, you know, there is one other way that you can break out of that bubble. Do you know what it is, Nathan? (laughs) No, do please tell. You can subscribe to Voices for Vaccines this week in vaccine hesitancy by becoming a Voices for Vaccines member. And I put out a weekly Friday newsletter that tells you what myths are sort of currently floating around and, you know, how to respond to those myths yeah. if you see them. So that's at voicesforvaccines.org slash join hyphen us. That is a really good publication because if you're really looking for, you know, just kind of the latest breakdown of stuff and what's circulating out there, we're not going to be able to talk about all that on the podcast mm-hmm. every week. And plus it's just so much easier to communicate something in text with links than it is when we're just kind of jawing about the topic. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you are, you know, if you keep up with that uh, publication uh, that I have no hand in, <laughs> but it's, and it's, and it's done far better than I could ever do. Uh, it's, uh, it's really worth keeping up with because you, you'll kind of stay abreast of what's going on and what, what, uh, anti-vaccine arguments are, uh, what, what arguments du jour are out there. And, you know, um, there are a lot of great blog posts written out there, but I really try to keep the newsletter short and mm-hmm. precise and, um, to links with more information if you need to delve deeper into it. But just really yeah. some simple talking points so that if you need to explain to someone. And, you know, really, honestly, I find that a lot of times when people come to me and have concerns or if people are going to, to a doctor like you and they have concerns, they really just want those concerns to be assuaged. They just really want to mm-hmm. feel better about the decision to vaccinate. They don't want to start an argument with you usually. So that's kind of where I come down. Sure. Well, we sure ran the gamut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you think we covered enough? I think we did. And I think we better save some space for uh, Ethan after this break. All right. Let's do it. We're joined now by Ethan Lindenberger. Ethan is a high school student in Ohio, and you may have seen him on such exciting shows as the United States Senate Help Committee um, and also Samantha Bee's Full Frontal, both like exactly the same kind of show. Thank you for joining us, Ethan, and welcome. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. And I know this is probably your most exciting uh, media request, correct? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, let me ask you a little bit about that. You have gotten a lot of media requests. Is that kind of what you thought would happen when you asked people how you should go about getting yourself vaccinated um, on Reddit? Yeah, so uh, I asked about getting vaccines about, what, four months ago, five months ago in November. And it was a really innocent request of like, I'm kind of concerned with my mom's stance is how I'm not sure if she's going to take it well if I'm wanting to get vaccinated. And, you know, the responses I got were great, but I didn't get a single interview for almost two months after that. And I thought it was just going to be like that, you know, after that post happened and nothing was going to really come out of it. So when I started getting these interviews, that's really kind of 
where it started to get a little confusing and it just started to snowball to more and more and more. And so I never would have guessed that this kind of would come out of that at all. How did that evolve then to get the invitation to testify in front of Congress? Yeah, so it was actually really interesting how it played out. Um, so on Reddit, I made that post, and it was clearly about vaccines from the title alone. And a reporter out of uh, Undark Magazine, which is this really small science magazine, did a paper, an article about people going to the internet for advice on vaccines, and how anonymity and the internet was becoming a source of advice and um, kind of a community for these kids like myself who are in a household that they are not vaccinated in. And this really small paper was written and I was contacted, you know, for this interview, but I was the only kid who didn't remain anonymous that they spoke to. And because of that and the fact that my mom spoke with this um, reporter, they were, it, the story kind of centralized around my perspective and my situation. And, you know, right after that, NPR got a hold of it. And then NPR got a hold of it, and it was Washington Post, and then, you know, everything was straight out of the gate from that, that point on. So so it kind of happened. You, you, can, you can kind of make sense of it, but it still was crazy. And let me ask you, are the is, is this something that kids at school talk to you about, or is it just like you do this when you're, you know, not at school, and then you go to school, and you're just the same old Ethan whose locker is down there? Right. No, I'm still the same old kid. I'm still... Uh, I still do the same things I used to do. I still go to school. I still uh, take the same classes. I still talk to the same people. Um, for a lot of people, it's just kind of confusing because they know that I'm doing all this and they think it's kind of odd to just see me walk around and not really bring it up too often. And my entire community knows about it. Like even today, I went to I went to the bank uh, just to withdraw some money and uh, ask some questions. And <laughs> one of the bank tellers, like the lady was just like, yeah, like how's it like being famous? And I was like, I don't it's great. I don't know. So um, that's always kind of weird because it's a really small town. So um, it's definitely different, but I just try and say the same way, I guess. We wanted to have you on the show because I really think, or I have a theory actually, that if we really want to sort of turn the tide on vaccine hesitancy, if we want to change things from where we are now, where people you know see things on the internet and get confused, concerned or hear things on the playground and are confused um, we really need to reach people who are younger so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know how how were you reached with information that made you feel like you wanted to get vaccinated that you were not only comfortable about it but that you had an affirmative hey I'm going to go out and do this thing what what was the thing that you think really reached you so I think the thing that reached me the most was that I was hearing information from my mom and she was giving me these explanations and explaining these points to me that I really kind of took for granted and just accepted. And when I would see that she would have backlash or criticism from anybody, I thought that was kind of odd because why would anyone be criticizing my mom? Like she probably knows what's best. She's probably done her research. Um, so for me, like the biggest thing was the autism argument that vaccines cause autism. And the moment I looked into it for any credible source, uh, had any doubt in my mind, it was probably the same exact day that I had uh, had a question that it was answered because the evidence is so overwhelming. 
And that was the thing for me was the curiosity. Everyone talked about that. Everyone's like, vaccines do not cause autism. And it was honestly like people treated it like it was a joke to say that. Um, so hearing my mom say it was like a rational position and then seeing it really wasn't was really what convinced me. So that's kind of interesting to think about that you were kind of convinced by by just deciding to look into something that you had suspicions on. Um, and I don't suspect that that's necessarily a characteristic of everybody that, that wants to, you know, I mean, everybody questions their parents, but how much do you, are you going to look into something that you, uh, you know, just that, that fact that you heard something and then dug into it and then found out what was accurate. I'm curious about what strategies we can use to try to reach teens. Either that, you know, might have been given bad information growing up or, uh, you know, just to kind of solidify their beliefs and understanding why vaccinations are important, why science is important. Any insight into what you think reaches teens and young people? I think for most teens and young people, they have to understand that vaccines are important and they're not just like a random needle that stops you from getting the flu. Because one of the biggest arguments presented is that a lot of the vaccines are necessary. Uh, a lot of the vaccines don't work and that they have all these side effects that no one will talk about or present or be open about. And so for a lot of doctors, that's really frustrating. For a lot of the health and scientific community, it's really frustrating because that's really not true. A lot of these diseases are very dangerous. A lot of these diseases are uh, extremely important to vaccinate against. And even for something like the flu, it, it's totally fine for you to get the flu as a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. But for a one-year-old or a newborn, that's going to be a really important deciding factor in their health. And even if they're going to survive past the age of two or three. So I think understanding the importance of vaccines is something that I was never communicated I never saw on social media, I never spoke to my doctor, I never really heard that side of it, that there was any real purpose beyond what my mom was claiming, which was that there isn't any purpose. Hmm. So not just attacking the information that's, you know, lying to people and giving them these bad ideas, but also explaining like, yes, this is why we vaccinate. I think if people see that's important, it's not just a personal decision your parents making and it actually is affecting the community that could actually cause a big difference. You know, it has been a reasonably short period of time since I've been in high school, but uh, it's a little fuzzy uh, in terms of what the curriculum was and whatnot. I don't recall a lot of edgy, I, you know, I took a whole lot of science courses and a whole lot of biology courses and whatnot. I don't recall specific education about vaccines per se. Certainly the immune system was part of AP bio and whatnot. But what do you, what has your experience been in terms of vaccinations and vaccine preventable disease being in the curriculum? And is that something that you feel like needs to needs to be improved upon in the future? I'd say yeah. I'd say that definitely there's uh, room to be improved. There's definitely some changes to be made because I think for public school especially, you're talking about how most of these courses are talking about the curriculum and, and a lot of the um, like standardized courses and, and topics need to be discussed. So instead of really talking about these important scientific controversies and issues that these kids really need to understand, a lot of these programs for school and classes are more focused on can they pass the final exam? So really, I mean, like a lot of the social issues aren't really explained too often. And so I actually spoke to a lot of people that, um, 
understand this to be a really big issue where especially because of funding for public school and because teachers are really underfunded and under equipped to teach their students about applicable skills for life and understanding uh, the curriculum in a way that's beyond just a, a test. Um, that's just the biggest hurdle. So I spoke to a lady who, she was the founder of this magazine that's meant to uh, reach middle schoolers with scientific information. And I can't remember what the name of the magazine was, but like she talked all about how they had a whole issue on vaccines and why vaccines were good and why some parents don't vaccinate in a way that wasn't like demonizing, which is explaining like this is the scientific information behind it. And I never experienced that in public school. Um, you know, I'm a senior and I've never talked about any chemistry. Um, the only, only time we talked about it was in psychology when we talked about conspiracy theories. And that was a topic that was kind of thrown out there. So it wasn't even like elaborated on. It was just like, oh, people believe this and it doesn't make a lot of sense. So it really doesn't address the gravity of the issue. You know, one thing that you did say, I, I have to, uh, in full disclosure, I have to tell you that I was once upon a time a high school English teacher, and I got to teach seniors too. Seniors are so much fun. Um, but one of the things you mentioned was that you were looking into sources. And so I'm wondering if there's anything that you were taught in school about reputable sources or looking at sourcing or any critical thinking skills that you think maybe someone did particularly well with you, if there's anything that we can expand upon and make sure all students are getting, not just for vac the vaccine issue, but for all sorts of important issues. Yeah, yeah. So you actually, you mentioned a really interesting thing there that you were an English teacher. And in almost every single English class I've had since maybe eighth grade, um, so five years of education was based around English classes that consisted of curriculum on writing, reading, and research. That was really the, the biggest uh, aspects of those English classes ever since eighth grade. And so research was super important. Like your, your sources that you cited needed to be legitimate and the teacher would not give you a, a good grade if you were using sources that were not reputable or not citing them uh, properly. And, you know, especially as a senior, we're, I'm in a college uh, writing class right now, and my college writing class, we have to cite upwards of like, you know, 10 sources for a single topic that all needs to be very consistent and need to be very reputable. Um, and that's something that's extremely clear. Like I know from the very start of my eighth grade year, when the moment we had a computer in front of us, it was you go to, you go to .gov sites, you look at the, the author, you, you background check that to... Uh, who's paying the studies that they're citing? You, you always do that, and when you do that, you're also you're even taught in school like how to criticize a, a source and how to defend a source. So I've had to write papers before, upwards of eight or ten pages that are all about the credibility alone, not just the content, but like the actual arguments and the author itself. You know, and that's huge. It's super important. And I think that's what for me. Um, pushed me to trust the sources over my parents because a lot of people even I had some people messaging me that were like how do you trust these sources when your mom like obviously cares about you and she has your best interest at heart mm -hmm. you know like why do you trust like the CDC above her and it's like well she's she's not the CDC if you understand the CDC and what they're talking about they know more about it than my mom does that's just that's not me hating her it's just not accurate right and I think that's something that I understood. And a lot of people might not if they don't really put emphasis or don't care enough when it comes to those courses and that, those topics. 
Right. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I especially agree with your part where you said that the English classes in your high school are the most important ones that you take. I, that's what you said, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say I that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I think so. For me, because yeah. I, I think that writing is so important because it's it's such a broad skill that you need to have when it comes to um, your ability to function in society, like, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot go into society without being a good writer, especially today. Especially in a day and age where, like, computers are so necessary and you're having uh, more movement away from physical labor towards creative processes and, and jobs and skills mm-hmm. um like in, my english class has taught me the most like my english teacher i love him to death and you know him sitting down and being like these are the credible sources that you have to look towards and here's how you find it like i look at all the kids in my classroom and i'm like thank god they're learning this because this is so important like especially now yeah i was being a little tongue-in-cheek about it being the most important class but i i really i, I think it's very important when we think about making kids scientifically literate that part of that really is a holistic view of being a good thinker being a critical thinker of really not being afraid to confront and critique what's in front of you and and give it some you know looking over is is really an important part of that and I I think doing that through schools is really amazing but I'm wondering if there's ways that teenagers can encourage each other to be critical of the information they're being given and be a person who looks into science and looks into the ideas behind public health and looks into vaccines. What what can teenagers do, do you think? So uh, I actually gave a um, TEDx talk, not to kind of like plug myself, but I gave a TEDx talk last, like two weeks ago, actually. And um, I talked about that, what teenagers can do for issues like this and what their power is in a situation with vaccines or any science advocacy. And it's easy to think that there's not much, right? That you're just a teenager and that you can't cause a lot of damage when it comes to misinformation and uh, scientific issues. But really, I mean, for me, the thing that jumpstarted my entire story wasn't an interview. It was me personally deciding to get vaccinated, even though my mom didn't agree. And that was me not choosing to do that because I rebelled. It wasn't me doing it because I didn't like her. It wasn't me doing it for any reason outside of the factual evidence that I saw and seeing that it was important enough for me to do on a personal on a personal level. And so for any teenager, anyone can do this. They just have to stand up for what's true on a personal level and you know stay authentic to the data, the scientific research, the information they're seeing. And whatever comes out of that, just, just not to kind of sway away from that and to hold up that truth because um, if you don't, then people will come to accept it as, as it's not true. And, and those lies and misinformation can keep persisting if people allow it to. And a lot of your testimony and the things that you've talked about have dealt with that. In fact, I think a lot of the power that you had, uh, a lot of the what a lot of the reason why what you said was so powerful is because you weren't really just talking about whether vaccines were good or bad. You were talking as a person who had experienced what uh, misinformation on the internet does and some of the the outcomes of that. So what is your, now that you've kind of uh, seen kind of the uh, worlds of pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine and all that kind of stuff, what's your take on what social media is doing with this and how it affects people and their decision-making and what do you think can be done or must be done to improve? Yes. So social media was one of the biggest things I talked about in my testimony. Um, Because for me, like my mom, she only really presented information that was from social media. 
And when we would have these discussions and we would talk about these issues at play, a lot of it was really not cited correctly. It wasn't like there were legitimate sources that she would refer back to. It was just, I watched this video, I saw this doctor, I talked to this person, I know I have this friend. And I think one of the biggest things about social media that's really dangerous is that um, I didn't talk about this in my testimony, but algorithms are super important when it comes to this discussion because people don't realize that for Facebook and YouTube and almost every single social media site, there's a profile digitally that's produced off of what you search, click on, like, follow, everything. And when someone interacts with misinformation and they click on a link, they watch a video that their friend shares or sends them, and Facebook sees that, they will send you another video. They will send you links to other pages. They will recommend stuff to you. I know I, I for instance, on my YouTube channel, or my YouTube profile, my, my Google profile on YouTube, I watched a video of this anti-vaccine uh, YouTube channel because my mom had made an appearance and wanted to see what, what happened and what they talked about. And for like a week, that's all I got recommendations for was that channel. I didn't want to watch it. That's all I got recommendations for. YouTube, and, YouTube's you, the worst. Yeah, and it's and so when when you're talking about conspiracy theories, YouTube had a huge problem where the moment you click on something, they just keep feeding it into you, and it's not their fault. It's just the algorithm. And so social media, which I mean, I consider YouTube kind of a social media in a sense. I mean, it, it's it's a huge issue that that every single person gets fed into this this echo chamber of information that just keeps bouncing off the walls back at them. Um, so YouTube, for instance, they they took kind of a stride to change this and if you watch videos on anything vaccine related it will link you to a wikipedia page about vaccine hesitancy and misinformation um but it will still send you the same videos like ha like five percent of the people that care to watch those videos aren't gonna aren't are gonna read that like five percent are actually gonna at all entertain the idea of reading a wikipedia page that's probably just gonna be funded by big pharma like it's just it doesn't make any sense so I, for one, am a really critical of social media because they usually hunt, like hide uh, the issues underneath this guise and this excuse of like, oh, it's too complicated. We can't fix this. But that's really just not true. Like Facebook for the longest time was like, we can't do anything about anti-vax content. And then like two days after my Senate hearing, that I test the, Senate, the Senate hearing I testified at, they were like, oh, we're changing everything. And they made all these big changes like two days after. And it's like you guys just did not want to make a – make a move that could have damaged, you know, your income and your followers and they just need that pressure. So I'm just, I continue to, to be very critical. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to just say that um, Nathan and I had a, just a huge mm -hmm. discussion about that before you came on. And for once we are recording the interview after our huge discussion instead of before. Um, but the other part of that, that really stuck, struck me is that, you know, you spoke up and then Facebook did something. You can have, you know, Dr. Boonstra speak up. You can have me, you know, Karen from Voices for Vaccines speak up. But then when a teenager goes out there and says, hey, I was left vulnerable for a lot of years because of how Facebook functions, that suddenly perked their ears up when it was someone saying, hey, you, you did this to me. And I think that's I, I hope other teenagers are paying attention, you know, in the obviously in the vaccine space, but in all sorts of spaces where teenagers have a lot more power than they think they do to stand up and do something good in the world. And I'm, I'm glad that you are in that space right now. Um, and, you know, I just want to know if what you think 
you and people like you, there's a couple, a handful of other teenagers like you in the mm-hmm. world can do to really encourage each other and encourage more teens to join you? Yeah, so one of the things that I talked about for, um, one of the things I talked about for, for my situation and what I've been encountering, I, I still, I'm, on, I'm pretty active on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. You know, I've had a lot of criticism coming my way, a lot of, uh, you know, you could say harassment. I, I am hesitant to call it that because I really don't care. But I've had, you know, a lot of people, you know, directed to my profiles by anti-vaccine pages and, and people um, and communities that really just don't like me at all. Um, I would I would get post I would get like notifications on Instagram that the same like conspiracy theorist pages were like tagging me in posts that were like Ethan's a fraud and I was just like oh my gosh go away and for me like I I talked about this in my TEDx talk that like a lot of people when they um started when they become part of something bigger than themselves they get criticized because good good ideas don't avoid criticism and when you get criticized for almost anything a lot of teenagers because they haven't experienced a lot of very harsh criticism, especially through social media, and it's really discouraged to act that way, especially, like, you know, with cyberbullying being so kind of, uh, like, demonized. Like, it's it's something to where, like, you know, maybe 10 years ago you could call someone stupid on Facebook, but now it's like, dude, you better not. Like, um, my point is, like, you know, criticism is not common, a lot of for, for my my peers especially. And so when I'm on Facebook and I have 3,000 messages that are like, you know, you're ugly, you're gay, you're stupid, um, easily someone can give up and feel really like burdened by that. And so I think lifting up other kids and saying like, hey, what you're doing is super important is really fundamental. So people I talk to on social media that say like, hey, like I wanna do this or I wanna get vaccinated or what you're doing is so inspirational. I just say like, look, I did something that was important and what you're doing is just important and I'm not saying that I'm better than you. And it takes everyone collectively to like do what they can and stand up for truth. And you're gonna get criticized and you're gonna feel like you know, everyone's against you, but I'm here for you. And there's a lot of people that are, and you might not realize it. Um, and so that encouragement, I think, is like the biggest thing. And I try and stay so vocal of that, that even though you might get so much hate, like people like myself are out there that love what people are doing. Um, even if it's on a small scale, even if it's on a personal level, it's just you and your parent or you and your friend or you and your relative, like that is literally the building block of my story. And so I relate to that and, and support it just as much as someone that testified in front of the Senate. I think that's such an interesting dynamic to think about how we talk with uh, adolescents and teenagers so much about internet safety and social media safety and being very cautious and and that's all true we you know because there is, there are a lot of bad elements out there and at the same time for us to kind of say out the other side and say well but it's very good that you're standing up and and saying all these things on social media of a very uh, quote-unquote controversial topic that's going to get you attention from people who don't always, you know, uh, not always good kind of, not not even constructive negative criticism, some, you know, hate criticism. Um, That's a very fine line to watch, uh, to, to walk. And so the, I think that's very important that we are, that we are supportive of teens, that we are uh, making sure that you guys have the, and that you guys are supportive of each other and have the tools that you need to be able to uh, advocate and be strong and still be safe and wise. And um, uh, especially when it comes to something like this, when we see elements that can be out of control. So kudos to you for what you've done and the willingness that you have to support others because I think that that's vital. Right, and I I really appreciate that. And like the other thing I kind of point out too 
is that for me, I think I'm really unique in the sense that I never really use social media too often. Um, how do I put this? You know, collectively on my Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, I probably made less than a hundred posts on all of them yeah. combined. Like yeah. I really was not very uh, active on those sites. I wouldn't share a lot of my personal stories or information, or I really didn't understand why a lot of people did that. But a lot of teams, you know, connect with through social media with other friends and their family. And that's a large part of their social dynamic and who they speak to and how they interact with, with people. And so, you know, for me, when I started this whole story and I became like uh, the center of this conversation for a little bit, like that was, that was a time where literally every day it was just constant, like just messages and constant requests and people either being really negative or being kind of supportive. And um, I think for a lot of kids, because they have such an importance on social media and through the internet and some, because especially if they're younger, especially if they're younger, um, can have a hard time distinguishing, you know, someone that does not matter and they're just a random jerk versus like a family member and someone's opinion that actually should be considered. And so I think that's really dangerous because a lot of like these stories and these people that find themselves on political platforms and controversial platforms is built on the back of social media and internet and media. And so you're going to get that and you have to expect that and to be okay with that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's just something that I'm glad I, I, I'm separated from my social media on a personal level. Cause if I was active on it and I really connected to people on that site and I cared about what people said about me on those sites, like I would be beating my head into a wall, like with the amount of people that said like mean stuff about me, like I'd be distraught. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it is a large part, like social media safety and proper use, I think. Yeah. And I've seen how you've kind of handled yourself and, and you've given that impression too. And it's been very impressive <laughs> just in terms of seeing like, and, and shining a little bit of sunlight on it too. And being like, okay, this is some stuff that was said about me and I'm, you know, I'm fine, but this is the kind of thing that happens on social media. That that's another just kind of very uh, noble thing to see you do, to be able to just shine a light on that of what's going on so people understand better the kind of elements that are involved when somebody does advocate on social media right and people even were like why are you keeping your post public if, it, if you're gonna get hate but i was like if it's not public then people can't see i'm getting hate that's the entire point like it proves that people will act like this especially with anti-vaccine ideologies like i am literally demonized by these people and that justifies them being like absolutely you know, rude and, and oh, downright like despicable and the things that they say. And, you know, a lot of kids have been like, I would never be able to handle that. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not doing, I'm not keeping my post public because I enjoy getting these, this harassment, but I'm doing it because it, it proves a point. You know, if I made these private, you'd never know that people are like this. Well, part of it too, Ethan, is that you really are the right kid in the right moment um, with the right issue. Because there really are a lot of kids your age. I'm using the term kid because everybody under the age of 35 is a kid to me. So I don't actually. No, it's, think I'm not. I, I'm an adult legally, and, then, and that's it. <laughs> that's the only definition I claim. Yeah, I'm 45, and I'm really only legally an adult, too. So it's fine. Um, there, there are a lot of people your age, there are a lot of people older than you who don't have sort of the internal resources that you seem to have you have intelligence you have humor and you you have a sort of poise and and a sort of self-assuredness that i think is 
both refreshing but also intimidating to people who are vaccine hesitant, who have left their children unvaccinated. And I have seen very many times some of the stories that Voices for Vaccines shares has to do with, you know, I was anti-vaccine, I changed my mind. Or um, we had one post by a woman named Amy Parker uh, called Growing Up Unvaccinated, talked about um, she grew up unvaccinated in the 1980s. She got really, really sick with like measles and mumps and every disease, and uh, she didn't like it. Um, and it's very threatening to people who really have built an identity around not vaccinating. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, where, where you land in that is um, who you are as a person. I, I think part of that shows that, you know, you were probably raised well. You probably have some, um, you know, God-given gifts that you bring to the world, too. But I'm wondering if there's a part of you who that um, maybe feels a little worn down, maybe could use a break from being the vaccine kid. No, <laughs> no. Um, so here's the thing. Here's the thing with that. Um, as much as I like love that I have the platform I do, you know, if it died tomorrow, I'm okay with it. And if someone else filled my position, I would have full confidence they could do just as well, if not better, and I would support them. And I think not glorifying the platform I'm in has helped a lot in, you know, understanding where I'm at and accepting it. Um, and also like, I think that I'm more unique than most teenagers in the sense that I have a really strong reliance on the mentors around me. So I don't make a decision outside of like the three to four people, um, really from my church that I go to for these big deals and these big decisions and what I'm doing. And so, you know, when this story started, like I went to almost every single one of my mentors and I was like, listen, this is going on. This is my dynamic. How do I handle myself? What do I do? What do I say? What do I not say? And what's your criticism? What's your concern? Like, what is the thing as someone that I think is a wise and experienced person would let me know as a young and inexperienced person. So that's like, that for me is important. And also like going into this issue, I, I know I've handled myself well because I've been so cognizant of it. Like I never walked into an interview trusting anybody. I never walked into an interview thinking like anyone was my friend that like, you know, people on CNN or Fox News really cared about my family. When they would ask me, how are you and your mom doing? I never would think like, oh man, like I should share every detail I have. And like, cause that's so nice they're asking. Like people were asking cause they wanted me to say awful mm -hmm. and they could dig and they could, they could pull something out and make it controversy and make it into a story. Mm -hmm. and that's fine you know that's that's what they're there for but I understood that that was the dynamic I was finding myself in and so I watched every word I chose myself and presented myself the way I knew that I needed to and I never talked bad about my mom I never said she was stupid and that was that was so important and I think you know that was because of the people around me and the mentors that were like listen don't do that like these people are not your friends. Like they want you to make controversy. They want you to be a story. And when your story is not relevant, then you'll be gone. So don't use this as an excuse to like demonize your family. Don't use it as an excuse to talk bad about them because that matters more in the end. So because of that, I think it resonated more with people because like this kid isn't some snarky, you know, street rat that decided to jump on an interview and be like, oh, like my mom's dumb and then ruin the entire dynamic of why this is important. 
Right. Yeah, we were we really made a conscious decision to not to ask you about your family or your mom because uh, we wanted to really talk to you about advocacy and not, you know, exploit your personal life for gain, to be frank. Yeah, and honestly, you guys might be one of the first or like one of the few interviews I've done that did not ask that question, which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's just that's just how it's happened. Yeah. Yeah, the the media really loves controversy and they really love people being pitted against each other. And I think Nathan and I both for years working in the vaccine sphere have really hated that storyline in general. <laughs> so we're adverse to it at all. You know, we don't we don't want you to be in opposition to anyone other than, you know, measles and rubella. And right, right, right. <laughs> One last question for you, Ethan. I'm wondering, what is the best piece of advice an adult has given you about vaccine advocacy? So the best piece of advice that I've gotten, man, that's a really, that's a really good question. I mean, really, yeah, in the good. end, it was, yeah, it, well, I guess in the end, it was just like the adults that I was speaking with and the mentors that I was speaking with, um, so most of them didn't interject with like a personal opinion or say like this is what should happen with vaccines this is what should happen with exemptions um but i think the, the biggest thing was um my, my one of my one of my mentors he expressed like listen i'm almost 40 i'm 38 i'm, I'm almost 40 and I, i'd have no clue what to do in your situation um so don't get caught up in thinking that you know what you're doing and every single step you take like go through someone get some other advice or some criticism and, you know, if you see criticism from people that you trust, don't ignore it because that's what's going to lead to a lot of pride. It's going to lead to a lot of issues if you just think that you, you know what's best. And a lot of people have been very supportive. And I really love that, that people have been saying really nice things and encouraging me. But a lot of it is like, oh, Ethan's so like otherworldly. Like, he's so like he's doing all these crazy things. But it's like this happened and I'm glad I'm here. And I think just staying humble and staying kind and understanding that the moment that you call someone stupid for something that's, you know, just an opinion is going to really damage what you're trying to say, even if you feel that way. And that's been so beneficial because I've never said people that are anti-vax are stupid. And even though people will claim that I have, if you've seen or, or followed my story, you know, I, I haven't. And even the senators at the here at the Senate hearing were like, yeah, we love that you do that. Like you've never demonized people. So that's been like the biggest thing that I've heard time and time again, people appreciate. And that was not me doing it. That was the advice of an adult. I think that's probably good advice for all of us. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ethan. I'm really, it was, this is such a great conversation. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of it. So I'm really grateful that you are here and that you agreed to be on our podcast. Thank you. Yeah, not a problem at all. I'm glad I could jump on. And, you know, I, I think that the discussion around misinformation and, and especially what teenagers can do is so important because a lot of teenagers have spoken to, like even friends are like, I don't even know how you did this. I'm like, I don't know either, but you can too, I guess. Thank everyone at home or on the bus or wherever you're listening to us for listening today. Remember that you can subscribe to Vax Talk Podcast on iTunes and Podbean and like 15 other places where you can get podcasts. And um, anyhow, my name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines.
And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician here at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye-bye.